0: This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing, and today I'm joined by John Selwood, Head of New Business, and Emily Mace, Head of SEO at Open Digital. Hi, guys.
1: Hi.
2: Morning.
0: First of all, as normal, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Oban Digital.
2: So I'm head of new business at Oban Digital. I've been with Oban for um, about two and a half years now. My background wasn't always working in agency, but it has always been working in international digital campaigns. My background predominantly in financial services, so leading the international arm of of Lloyd's TSB um, as it was back in the old days and left there for something a little more fulfilling, working with with the guys at Oban, really, just purely down to the interest in what they were doing around culture and, and applying that to modern e-commerce strategies.
1: And I'm the head of SEO at Oban, and I've been here for just over a year. I was brought in to head up the international SEO strategy for Oban, um, and I've got about 18 years' experience working in digital. So it's nice for me to be able to, like John, apply that to an international market, which is slightly more challenging than just doing it for the UK. Fantastic.
0: Okay, so we're going to be talking about the importance of culture in digital marketing.
1: Let's start off
0: with uh, localization, because I know that's very important, isn't it, in terms of culture and digital marketing?
2: Uh, Unbelievably important, Andy. Um, I think a lot of the decisions we make um, within our own domestic campaigns, whether or not we're from the UK or the US, are largely driven by our own experiences of how we operate within our own cultural boundaries. And a lot of the time, we kind of make those decisions on autopilot because we're here living and breathing it. Um, I think probably one of the most important things for for, for people to understand when they're operating cross-border is that a lot of the things we take for granted in in how we operate and how we communicate and those strategic or or even tactical decisions we make based on our own sort of heuristics or known behaviors of a group here in in the UK or the US will change as soon as we go cross-border. And one of the interesting things about culture is it's not just about language. uh, And that's really what we, we try and instill really with our clients is that You know, an international campaign isn't just about the language, it's much more about the culture of the people that you're trying to target and and ultimately it comes down to people as soon as we get our head around the fact that people are different everywhere in the world, then we need to reflect our behaviours, particularly in the digital space, to to match the behaviours of those we're trying to to influence or engage with
0: Now, uh, getting the technology right is something you talk about a lot what's the best approach and are there some some common mistakes to avoid?
1: So Getting the technology right is such an important part of of everything that we do when we're helping people reach out to new markets because if you're not targeting specific languages or specific users in the right way when you reach out to them, potentially what you could do is actually miss that audience. So one of the things that we see quite regularly is um, people have implemented a, a language application on their website which adds a nice little query string to the end of the URL, for example, lang type or something like that. Which is great from a database perspective in the back end of a website. But from a search engine's perspective, all you're doing is confusing them because Mm. in effect what you're not doing is giving them a clear indication. So we recommend, you know, doing things like having a subfolder with the name of the country in it, for example, forward slash D E for the German market. Yeah. And what what that does is you can actually then go to Google and say, oh hey, this folder forward slash de is for all the German people who want to come and view my website. So getting that right is really important. Um, and there's also uh, a tag called an href lang tag, and we've seen quite a few instances where people have not implemented that correctly, um, and in effect, Google starts to get confused then about the the targeting of a of a website as well because people are using um language codes as country codes or or Mm. vice versa Uh, a really good example i saw just recently was a website was targeting arabic as a language and in the hreflang tag they'd referenced ar-ar which to their mind, was Arabic for Arabic people, thank you very much. Yes. But actually what they were doing with that was targeting the Argentinian country, and within the Argentinian country, Arabic speakers. Right. There's not that many of those. Um, (laughs) So they were missing their targeting, really. So one of the things that we do when we start a campaign is just look at the international technical setup to make sure that all of that is kind of going in the right direction because you could spend a lot of money getting your localization done, doing all of this beautiful translation, making sure you're talking to people in the way that you want to. But if you're telling the search engines that you want to target Arabic speakers in Argentina, not so much.
0: Yeah, they're always confusing those language codes, aren't they? Because you get this hyphen and then another bit on the end that sort of like hones it down a bit more. I guess there's places online where you can check those, aren't there?
1: Yeah, there are. Um, there's, there's a really nice resource that Google actually put out, which has got a, a list of the, the country and language codes. They're all based on the ISO codes. Mm. Um, so if you go into the Google Webmaster Tools help section, you can see a reference there. The core thing to remember is that the first code that you put in is the language, and the second code that you put in is the country. So if you want to target Arabic speakers, AR would be the language and it would come first, but if you want to target speakers in Egypt, you would use the Egyptian code at the end of the URL. So it would be AR-EG.
0: And it is a dash, isn't it? Because I've seen so many times people use underscores and come to grief.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. And and we've seen all sorts of things like that as well. Um, we've also seen people... Um, trying to claim that there is a, a language that doesn't exist. For example, um, I saw one recently, which was somebody was trying to target the Austrian market and they'd actually decided that Austrian was a language rather than using German as the language. So right. they were targeting the country and language of Austria. Um, and uh, obviously that was confusing the search engines as well because obviously they were looking for DE as the language there.
0: Uh, languages, I don't know. Um, so from a cultural perspective then, uh, just changing tax like how should we identify which markets to go into?
2: So, I mean, this needs to be targeted. There's going to be a couple of clues that you're already going to be aware of. And I think one of the, the main important things to say is that typically, uh, unless you're the rare type of company that is uh, capable, already has a global footprint, already has global resources – don't try and do everything all at once. It's very possible you've taken the last 2, 5, 10, 20 years to build up your presence in a market that you already understand uh, how people behave in. Um, you know, It's quite a rare situation where you'll be able to launch globally um, in one sitting. So we try and encourage people to sort of take it in bite-sized chunks, really, understand much more about that market first. In terms of picking markets or, or choosing which markets, there's a really good chance that you're already going to be getting traffic and orders from a particular market already or a couple of different markets obviously looking at your analytics looking at your your data and your CRM will give you a good clue as to where you're currently finding finding that your products or your services has some level of need in that market mm. and then really from there there's, there's there's the same process that you would typically follow that that you probably followed in the UK when setting up the business in the first place you know research that market research the, the people research the competitors and just be absolutely realistic about what your rate of growth is going to be, especially if if you haven't got the you know the the brand behind you that perhaps you've got in the u k We see this time and time again where we have a very well respected or well known brand in the u k that automatically believes that that brand equity will follow them into a new market where there are existing local competitors where people would rather deal with so I think you know being realistic in terms of expectations is is one thing. Secondly, you know, just understanding how, how the local people behave. You know, in, in the German market, people do prefer to go with with national suppliers or people they've got a presence on their high street, particularly in retail. Similarly, you know, understanding what is it that they can do to beat that competition, what does their service offer in that market, whether that's from a product or a price basis or a service level, how can they possibly improve on on what the, 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 the local competition are already offering? And a lot of the research that we do is typically about trying to find that, that sweet spot or that gap analysis really in terms of what users really want, how that company that we're working with can actually meet that need better than the competition, and how the competition are meeting that need as well. Um, and that gap in between where competitors aren't hitting the mark for, for local, uh, local people in that market and where our client can, that, that's where we really want to be focusing our activity either through. Paid search or, or content or, or essentially just brand positioning and tone of voice.
0: So, once you've identified these markets, then what's the sort of the best way to set up the sites for those markets?
2: There's no silver bullet, I'm afraid. Um, I
0: suspected that might be the answer.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what we'd always recommend, you know, once you have a really good understanding of you know, how people are behaving with competitors and, and how they're talking about a product or service, then it really follows much of the same pattern of, of setting up domestically. The decisions that you're making about your domestic and the effort that you're putting into meeting your domestic consumers' needs should be the same whether you're targeting China or Germany or France or anywhere. There are going to be technical considerations. I think Emily talked about some of those earlier. Again, there's no bullet, bullets. So things like domain strategy, it doesn't follow a best practice. From an SEO point of view, there are, there are pros and cons of going with a, a folder or a subdirectory or a, you know, a, a wholly owned uh, country-coded top-level domain. A lot of it will depend on the individual market, their needs and wants in terms of identifying with a, with a URL that is already in that market. And also, more importantly, what the competition are doing. So the first step we would also always say once you've got the research out of the way is really about making sure that the site is speaking to your customers in the right way. Mm. So localization... Um, very good translation Uh, from a search perspective we tend to think that just translating or replicating what you've got in the UK is nowhere near good enough translation certainly has a place um, and and good translator good translation is is a great skill and and finding a good translation agency is really important however in terms of translating things like your keyword strategy or your content strategy and just replicating it from one market to another really isn't going to really isn't going to cut the mustard so Looking at that through the eyes of your customers in those markets is is the key, really, in terms of understanding how people are researching and buying products.
0: Yeah, there's. I see this so often. Actually, there's a. I, I think a lot of people don't fully grasp the difference between translation and localization. Do they? Like, you know, you can translate a, a a sentence into another language, but you have to also understand the culture and the way that people phrase things. Like, there are certain languages that don't have corresponding words, aren't there?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's very true. And, and some of the research that we've been doing for our clients um, has thrown up some really interesting differences in, in how people search. So an example that we found recently when we were um, doing some keyword research into how people search for news internationally was um, in the Indian market, there was a really high search volume for the English term Hindi news. And what people were doing in the search results there were they were searching in English for the term Hindi news, but then they were wanting to consume content on a website that was giving them news in the Hindi language. So they Mm. were actually doing a hybrid behavior, searching in one language, but consuming content in another. Whereas if you just did, you know, straight translation, you would miss that opportunity. And it was actually a a five-fold increase in search volume for the Hindi translated version of Hindi news. Um, to the, the much, much higher searched Hindi news in English. So, you know, we were able to unlock our much higher search potential just by not using direct translation.
2: Yeah. The other thing to notice is, you know, we have all sorts of um, English colloquialisms that fall into our everyday language. I think as soon as you begin translating that, there is either not going to be a direct translation or... Worst-case scenario is it translates as something that's wholly inappropriate, and there's, there's a huge potential there for, for damaging your brand or at least being one of those embarrassing translation blooper stories. So, I mean, at, at best, you're just simply going miss, to miss the mark and not engage properly with your audience. At worst, you potentially uh, risk making yourself look a little bit silly in a particular market.
0: I'm sure there's a thousand stories of uh, translation bloopers, but we sadly, we haven't got time for
2: those. <laughs> <laughs> you can- you can look those up there are plenty online
0: now what about um, content and social strategies uh, across the world how does that work
1: so one of the things with content strategy and this is kind of uh, one of the content marketing worst kept secrets is actually content marketing works in much the same way from market to market because what you're doing with a content strategy is identifying a need with your audience to consume a piece of content, whether that's an English audience or a French audience or an Arabic audience, it doesn't really matter. If they've got a need, you're addressing it with your content. Now, one of the things you have to appreciate when you are rolling these content and social strategies out is that how people can consume content might be different. Um, there may be a higher bias towards using mobile devices. Um, people may have a higher bias towards consuming videos rather than text based content. And also, when you're looking at social sharing, one of the big mistakes that we see um, UK companies doing is actually just reaching out and going, Well, hey, I've got Facebook, I've got Twitter, I've got LinkedIn. Tick, 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 I'm done. I can just roll out to all of these countries. Mm. And if I'm posting things in the correct language, jobs are good. I've, I've targeted those markets. But yeah. when you go into different markets, there's different search engines. For example, there's Zing in Germany, which is very popular. Um, And then obviously, when you're going out into other markets such as China, you've got a completely different social landscape there. So you have to take those things into consideration rather than just going, well, you know, I've got all my big profiles. I'm just going to roll those out.
2: I think one of the on the social elements in China, we see this probably uh, on a weekly basis. The number of times we see UK or US companies targeting China with a a specific Chinese pace but still including the icon to Facebook and Twitter, which aren't actually allowed in the Chinese market, um, is probably one of the biggest sort of errors that we see. So again, there are different platforms all around the world, and there are different usage of those. So things like um, Sina, for example, or WeChat. These platforms engage people in different ways, and they all have different needs. So much in the same way we sit wondering about how to engage with domestic clients that we all know and understand, the same rigor needs to be put into understanding how people are using local search and um, local social or content sharing platforms now actually
0: you, you just mentioned about uh, certain things that you shouldn't do in certain cultures can you give us some specific sort of cultural conversion considerations some some good examples
2: yeah there's uh, again it's the, there's there's a million and one examples of sort of people who aren't necessarily doing it right it all comes down to local knowledge i'm afraid again there's there's no sort of magic book that will tell you everything that you need to know we do a lot of work in terms of cultural conversion here at oban There are all sorts of elements that play into it, some of which come from from very sort of cultural or or religious background, so there was a great case study where Ikea had a a picture in one of their catalogues or one of their brochureware sites of a family in a bathroom that was actually produced for most of the Western cultures. Mm -hmm. However, when it went out to the Saudi Arabia market, they uh, they had airbrushed the lady out because it was just the father and the son left in the bathroom alone. Right. Um, within that market, having a female in the bathroom at the same time as as um, father and son would be highly inappropriate. Similarly, things like consideration for you know Sharia mortgages, for example, you know perhaps taking the the site down at prayer times is one thing that we've seen actually um, be required. Not doing that again would would potentially cause offence. On on a different level, really sort of you know colours, um, layouts, etc. Tone of voice, all of this has an impact on how people consume um, content or view a web page, and naturally will have a, an impact on conversion. So we, we've done quite a few studies into colour analysis, and more importantly, sort of national colours. And some of the tests that we've run have really highlighted some interesting, interesting things. And, and a lot of these are, are based on, you know, what we call heuristics, or, or for a better word, sort of stereotypes of known behaviours or how a group will will react. Yeah. But things yeah. like when we ran a, a test looking at national colors, typically in the Netherlands, making a button color orange did actually have an uptick in in conversion of people actually pressing that button. Interestingly when, when we ran the same test for the German markets, associating the button colors with those of the, the German national flag actually had a downtick in conversion. Um, and there was obviously a bias against over nationalism in, in the German market. However, what did resonate with that market was colors that symbolize what Germany is all about. So graphites and grays, and we think of, you know, uh, Mercedes-Benz and efficiency, etc. and, you know, strong yeah. engineering background. Um, those actually resonated really well with those audiences. And, and although these are very sort of... Um, examples that we take in isolation it just goes to show how different groups of people will react to different stimulus particularly when when it's it's formed around their culture
1: there's also a couple of examples where companies have gone into those markets and they've addressed how people like to consume content everybody makes the stereotypical joke that Germans are very straight down the line and like things kind of as they are And when McDonald's went into that marketplace, what they did with kind of the Big Mac marketing page was basically just had a picture of a Big Mac with a call to action button on it, rather than having lots of distractions and things. Because for that market, it was very much about, here is a burger, come and have the burger.
0: Come and get the burger, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, So that was a very different marketing tactic than, than when they went into the Japanese market. Because when they went into Japan, what they were doing was actually responding to the Japanese interest in having lots of interactions on a website. I'm sure you've been to a Japanese website and seen that there's just links. (laughs) Yes,
0: uh, one specific comes to mind, but I won't mention it. (laughs)
1: Um, They they, they played to that market, so they had lots of widgets with games on them, they had links to social feeds and all of those kind of things. So if you look at the two pages side by side, one is very clean and stripped back and the other one's just crazy manic. And that is a response to the individual cultural needs of those markets and it works brilliantly.
0: Fascinating! I love the examples of the colour uh, and the, the way that the different nationalities react to colour. Sort of chromo psychology. I don't know have i just made a word up. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. Um, can you give us some funny examples uh, when it comes to sort of international audiences?
2: Yes, certainly. There's um, th- there's quite a few. Fortunately, none have come out of our staples in terms of uh, in terms of the bloopers. Some of these are a little bit been twisted in folklore. I think we've seen the one about the coke can. Uh, or, or um, meaning eat a wax tadpole, essentially, when they first launched into China. Again, I think that's got, <laughs> that's, got that's got that's got twisted through the annals of time. Um, certainly, you know that there are some that just come down to a little sort of ignorance of local culture. So, when Colgate launched into France, this was quite a while ago. They brought out a new toothpaste called Q, um, which, again, unbeknownst to them, was was also the name of of quite a prominent porn mag. Um, <laughs> I think there was, there was also one around Schwepp spending quite a bit about in an the above-the-line campaign advertising toilet water, which um, perhaps <laughs> not so much.
0: Well, guys, thank you so much for, for sharing your knowledge with us. How can our listeners find out more about you and more about Oban Digital? You can find us at
2: obandigital.com. Have a look at the website.
1: Or you can come through to our Twitter, uh, which can be found at at Oban Digital and we regularly post updates about international marketing and some trends that we're seeing within the marketplaces. So it's a great place to get, get some new information.
0: So thanks for listening everyone. You can find show notes at sitevisibility.com slash im podcast. Uh, we're on iTunes and Stitcher and we love reviews. And uh, if you've got any questions we have an email podcast at sitevisibility.co.uk, and we have a telephone hotline if you want to leave an audio question or comment. Plus four four one two seven three two five six one five O. So it's goodbye from me, Andy White. And it's goodbye from the good folks at Oban. Goodbye. Bye. And we'll see you next time on internet marketing